Nor did I contend with the knowledge of the psychiatrist when dead members of my platoon spoke to me in the rain and a mermaid with an Asian face beckoned to me from a coral cave strung with pink fans, her hips spangled with yellow coins, her mouth parting, her naked breasts as flushed with color as the inside of a conch shell. The cult of Morpheus is a strange community indeed and it requires that one take up residence in a country where the improbable becomes commonplace. No matter what I did, nor how many times I disappeared out my window into the mists along St. Charles Avenue, back into an era of rooftop jazz bands and historical streetcars filled with men in bowler hats and women who carried parasols, the watery gray rim of a blighted planet was always out there intransigent and corrupt, a place where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. In the early a.m. on a Friday, I asked the black attendant to open the windows in my room. It was against the rules, but the attendant was an elderly and kind man who had spent five days on a rooftop after the collapse of the levees during Hurricane Katrina, and he wasn't given to concerns about authority. The windows reached to the ceiling and were hung with ventilated green shutters that were closed during the heat of the day to filter the sun's glare. The attendant opened both the glass and the shutters and let in the night smell of the roses and camellias and magnolia and rain mist blowing through the trees. The air smelled like Bayou Teche when it's spring and the fish are spawning among the water hyacinths and the frogs are throbbing in the cattails and the flooded cypress. It smelled like the earth may have smelled during the first days of creation, before any five-toed footprints appeared along the banks of the river. Or at least I think the black man opened the windows. Even to this day, I cannot be sure of what I said and saw and heard that night. Like the drunkard who fears both his memory and his dreams, I had become cynical about my perceptions, less out of fear that they were illusions than a conviction that they were real. After the black man had left the room, I turned my head on the pillow and looked into the face of a Cajun girl by the name of T. Jolie Melton. Hi, Mr. Dave, she said. I read all about the shooting in the papers. You was on television, too. I didn't know you was here in New Orleans. I'm sorry to see you hurt like this. You was talking French in your sleep. It's nice to see you, T. Jolie. How'd you get in, I said. True the front door. You want me to come back another time? Can you get me a glass of water? I got you better than that. I brought you a Dr. Pepper and a lime I cut up, because that's what you always drank when you came into the club. I brought you something else, too. It's an iPod I filled with music. I loaded Beat Me Daddy ate to the bar on it, because I knew how you always liked that song. Her eyes were blue-green, her hair long and mahogany-colored with twists of gold in it that were as bright as buttercups. She was part Indian and part Cajun and part black and belonged to that ethnic group we call Creoles, although the term is a misnomer. You're the best, I said. Remember when you helped me with my car crash? You were so kind. You took care of everything, and I didn't have no trouble at all because of it. 
It was an A-car crash, as I recalled. It was at least three car crashes, but I didn't pursue the point. The most interesting aspect of Tijo Lee's auto accidents were her written explanations at the scene. To the best of my memory, these were her words. I was backing up when this light pole came out of nowhere and smashed into my bumper. I was turning left, but somebody was blocking the lane, so trying to be polite, I switched my turn indicator and cut to the school parking lot, but I didn't have no way of knowing the chain was up on the drive at that time of day because it never is. When the transmission went into reverse, Mr. Fontenot was putting my groceries in the back seat, and the door handle caught his coat sleeve and drug him across the street into the gas pump that blew up. I tried to give him first aid on the mouth, but he had already swallowed his big wad of gum that the fireman had to pull out with his fingers. I think Mr. Fontenot almost bit off one of the fireman's fingers and didn't have the courtesy to say.